Well, we are, um, our original plan was that we were going to continue in our series in Genesis this week. We were going to be in week two, uh, and we were going to be talking about sanctity of life, and we were going to be introducing our foster and adoption care initiative as a church. Uh, But I've decided to postpone that until we meet at Jefferson again. Um, And so, you know, like I said, we don't know when that's going to happen, so it's just going to be a fluid situation. So we're going to take a one-week break from the Genesis series, but we will pick back up with Genesis uh, next week. And so we're going to keep doing that. We'll be in Genesis chapter 2. Uh, next week, and we'll circle back to the Genesis 1, 26 to 28 at a later time, whenever we uh, whenever we convene again at Jefferson. Um, and so, Lord willing, that'll be soon. Um, but this morning, um, I wanted to, uh, uh, to, to, to teach out of Matthew chapter 6. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 34. As you're turning there, um, you know... One of the things that's been made abundantly clear to all of us during this time is that we're not in control, right? Right. Um, different people react in different ways whenever things like this happen, and we begin to lose control. Uh, in many parts of our nation right now, this pandemic is causing pandemonium. So you've seen that on the news, you've seen it at the stores. There's, you know, there's a hashtag trending right now called panic buying, hashtag panic buying. Uh, there's jokes about toilet paper flying around on Facebook. My favorite one has been a meme that said um, it had a picture of like a house that had been wrapped, you know, with toilet paper like you used to do when you were a kid. And it said wrapping someone's house with toilet paper would be the ultimate power flex right now. Right. So I was like, that's true. That would be the ultimate power flex right now. Um, so it's, it's good, though, to find some light and some humor, uh, even in the midst of all this stuff that's going on right now. Uh, But we also need to acknowledge that there are serious and understandable fears in the hearts of people. Uh, We are being confronted with the fragility of life and with our lack of control. No amount of money, no military might, no amount of knowledge can stamp out a microscopic little virus that can't even be seen with the naked eye. And that's humbling for a nation, especially like a a nation like the United States of America. We pride ourselves on our power and our military might and our resources and our money and our health care. And yet all we can do is attempt to contain this thing. And it's so microscopic and tiny. And it's hard not to see that this is one of one of the things that God is doing through this is reminding us that um, God. I, I really believe that God laughs in the face of human boasting and pride. Mm. Right. When we start to think that we're big stuff, mm. um, uh, oftentimes things like this are a reminder that we're not as great and mighty as we actually think that we are. But uh, this morning, we're going to see what God's word has to say about worry and fear, because God's not just trying to put us in our place and, you know, like punish us. God actually wants to draw people to himself through these events. Uh, and God speaks a tender word to those who are consumed with worry and fear. And so my prayer is that not only will you be encouraged this morning, but that you will share the hope of today's passage with other people in your life that maybe are struggling with worry and fear. What a wonderful opportunity we have to have gospel conversations. More than most times, people are thinking about what really matters in life. People are thinking about existential questions during times like this. Because all of a sudden, all the distractions, all the stuff that we look to, they're starting to get removed, aren't they? Mm-hmm. And people are asking big questions about life. People have time to think. Yeah. And a lot of us don't even know what to do with that, right? Uh-huh. And so what, a, what an incredible opportunity God has given us to be able to speak the truth and the hope of the gospel in the lives of people. So 
we've got good news for them. So let's open up Matthew 6, 19 to 34. I'm going to read it. These are the words of Jesus. He says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So, if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters. For either he, he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let me pray. God, I thank you so much for your word. I pray now, God, that you would help me as I preach. I pray, oh God, that you would fill me with your spirit. Apart from you, I can do nothing. God, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would encourage our hearts, that you would fill us, that you would strengthen us during this time. God, I pray that you would assuage fears. God, that you would quiet tumultuous hearts. God, I pray that you would embolden us as a people, that you would prepare us for this time in history, that you would prepare us for this time in our culture to go forth boldly and to make disciples, to proclaim the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, I pray that you would use your word to build up your church. God, even in the midst of, of changing circumstances and, and strange situations of, of not being able to be with our entire body, of being split into multiple locations, God, I pray that you would only use this to advance your kingdom. Yes, God, God, that you would add to, you, to, to our number day by day those who are being saved. God, I pray that you would take the schemes of the enemy and that you would turn them on their head. God, I pray most of all, Jesus, that you would be glorified, that you'd be magnified this morning in our hearts and through the preaching of your word. We pray this in your precious holy name. Amen. Amen. So this passage comes in the midst of the Sermon on the Mount. So the Sermon on the Mount is Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Uh, Jesus was teaching on the mountainside uh, to those who were gathered to listen. Uh, and in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is teaching what it looks like to live faithfully 
uh, and to, to worship faithfully as God's people within the world. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones says that the Sermon on the Mount is a perfect picture of the life of the kingdom of God. And the book of Matthew was written by Matthew, one of Jesus' 12 disciples, and it was primarily written to a Jewish audience. Okay, And so uh, the, the Jewish people in the first century, they uh, had an idea. They thought that the kingdom of God would be a political and a military conquest of Rome, and that a political and military leader would come who would be the Messiah. He would come, and he would make life great for Israel. And he was going to get rid of all of Israel's enemies, all of Israel's problems. They had a very materialistic view of the kingdom of God. That Jesus came as the Messiah, and he said, my kingdom is not of this world, right? He said, my kingdom is not of this world. And we're not much different. We're really not much different because we too are often tempted to have a materialistic view of the kingdom of God. Yeah. It's tempting for Christians to live for the things of this world and to place our hope in the things of this world, to want Jesus as the Messiah to make our lives better, to keep us from troubles, to keep us from difficulties. So when things like coronavirus come along and, and, and begin to threaten those things that we love and those things that we really are concerned about, it's all of a sudden fear and panic sets in. Mm. And Jesus' words this morning are desperately needed because that's exactly the situation that we find ourselves in. And Jesus gives four reasons in this passage why you shouldn't be anxious. And so we're going to look at four. He, he gives four arguments for why you should not be anxious. So we're just going to look at those one at a time. Uh, the first reason is that true treasure is in heaven. Right. Verses 19 to 25 teach us that you should not be anxious because true treasure is in heaven. Um, so in those first five verses, 19 to 24, Jesus urges us to live for what we cannot lose. He contrasts living for what will pass away and living for what will last forever. So he says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. What, is that? what does that word mean, treasure? He means it's your treasure is whatever is most valuable to you. It's whatever you look to for purpose, for happiness, for security. In other words, if you were to think about the sin, I need, I need blank to be safe or happy or content. That's your treasure. Whatever it is that you need to be safe or happy or content. And Jesus teaches here that if, if that treasure is on earth, if it's something that's going to pass away, fade away, like relationships or money or career or reputation, things like that, then you can never be secure. Because if thieves don't steal it, then time will. Mm. You'll always be looking over your shoulder wondering. I mean, think about this. If I were to, you know, come to you and say, hey, I've got a great opportunity for you to invest in some stock. Uh, but then you found out that, you know, somehow you had foreknowledge that uh, that company was going to tank a month later. Mm. Would you invest in that stock when knowing that the company is going to tank a month later? No, you'd be a fool to do that, right? Mm. Well, that's why it's foolish to invest and to lay up treasure on earth. Because guess what? That stock's going to tick. Well, it's not going to last. Okay, it's going to go away. It might not be. It might not be a hundred years. It might not be a thousand years. But it's going to. It's going to happen. I mean, that stock is going to tank. So you are a fool, Jesus says, to lay up for yourselves treasure on earth. He says, lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven. Jesus also draws a pretty sharp line in the sand. He says, you cannot serve both God and money. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
Jesus knows the tendency that we as human beings have to straddle the fence. Hmm. It's so tempting to want just a little bit of, of earthly treasure. Can I just have a little bit, Jesus? Just a little. But fence straddling shows that you don't understand how great the heavenly treasure is. Jesus says in Matthew 13 that the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure buried in a field. When a man stumbled across it, he sold everything that he had so that he could go and buy that field. You know what he discovered? He, saw, he discovered that the kingdom of God is so great, so glorious, so wonderful that it makes everything else just appear like nothing in comparison. And so when we, when we truly understand the kingdom of God, we truly understand how beautiful, how glorious Jesus is, then the, like the song says, you hear me quote this all the time, the things of earth will go strangely dim in the light of his glorious grace. Right? It's kind of like if you've got like a, you know, like a, a dinky little flashlight, and then you walk outside in the blazing sun, right? All of a sudden, that flashlight, you can't even see it. It's not giving off any light. Why? Because there's a greater light. It's the sun. It's billions of times more powerful than your little dinky flashlight. The things of this world are like the little dinky flashlight, and Jesus Christ is like the blazing sun that just makes all other light pale in comparison. So your God, Jesus says, is what you love. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You worship what you love most. And so one way to determine what you're tempted to worship is to identify what makes you anxious. Mm. Take a look at what Jesus says in verse 25. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. And then he asks a question. Is not life more than food? And the body more than clothing. So whenever you see that word therefore in scripture, you need to ask, what is it therefore? It's usually going to point back to what just came before. So what Jesus is doing is he is pointing back to verses 19 to 24 and he's giving us a conclusion. So his argument is that if your treasure is in heaven, then you are living for what you cannot lose. Therefore, you do not need to be anxious. Amen? Amen. Make sense? On the other hand, if your life is filled with worry and anxiety, it shows that you're not trusting God to meet your needs. Your worries betray what you worship. Come on, bro. Your worries betray what you worship. You think you need whatever it is that you're worried about losing more than you need God. Uh, one example, there's tons of examples of this, but one would be someone who obsesses about being in a relationship and they're constantly jumping from one relationship to the next and, and going from one to the other. And what, what they're doing is they're implicitly saying, I love God, but I need a spouse to be happy. Mm. I need a boyfriend or girlfriend to be content. I need a significant other to feel good, to feel safe. What are you afraid of losing? Where do your anxieties lie? And notice that Jesus says, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? You think about, those are two pretty basic necessities, aren't they? Mm -hmm. Jesus isn't talking about extravagant things. He's not, he didn't say like, isn't life more than a yacht? You know, like he just says food and clothing. And so Jesus is not saying that these things are not important. Okay. He's not saying that God won't provide them. In fact, he's about to tell us that we can trust God to provide things like food and clothing. But what he is saying is that at the end of the day, food and clothing will pass away. They are temporary, and so is your life. But the kingdom of God is eternal. 
Many people are anxious right now. Some are anxious that they'll lose their lives. Some are anxious about the stock market, about their finances. Some are anxious about potentially losing their jobs and their company laying people off. Some are anxious about not having food, and so they're hoarding and acting foolish at the supermarkets. As followers of Jesus, we can walk in freedom from this worry and anxiety. We don't have to get angry when things don't go our way. We don't have to selfishly walk over other people to preserve ourselves. Since our treasure is in heaven, we are free to lay our lives down for others. We can give away our possessions to help others in need. Yes, even your teepee. <laughs> First Peter 1, 3, and 4 says this. It says, God has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. We have an opportunity to show people God's love by giving away worldly treasure to meet their practical needs. And there are people who do not yet have this hope that we have. They know nothing of the imperishable, undefiled, unfading inheritance that we have in Jesus Christ. And so it kind of makes sense that they're panicking whenever their only treasure that they have is being threatened. We have a treasure that cannot be taken. You have eternal life in Jesus Christ. You have forgiveness of your sins. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He has all authority. Everything in heaven and on earth belongs to him. And if you are in Christ, you are a co-heir with Christ. That means that all things are yours. Mm. means that you are Christ and Christ's is God's. Mm. We have nothing to be afraid of, church. Absolutely nothing. So we can give away earthly treasure because it's not going to last anyways. And as we give it away, we can tell people about the heavenly treasure that's never going to perish. Amen? Amen. So don't be anxious about your life. Find your treasure in Christ. The second reason Jesus gives that we should not be anxious is that you are very valuable to your Father. You are very valuable to your heavenly Father. In verse 26, he says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And then skip down with me to verse 28. So he uses two analogies, the birds, and then he's going to use the analogy of the flowers of the field. He says, and why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. So Jesus makes an argument of here, here of what's called an argument from the lesser to the greater. So what that means is that he's saying, if God takes care of birds, how much more certainly will he take care of you since you are of far more value than a bird? And if God has concern for the grass that is here today and gone tomorrow, how much more will he have concern for people who are made in his image? Mm. So he's saying, of course, if God has care and concern for these little things in creation, of course he has concern for you. You never have to doubt that he won't. How much worry would fall by the wayside in our lives if we truly lived 
with a consistent assurance that our Heavenly Father tenderly cares for us like this. We can be confident that He does because as human beings, we are created in His image. God created human beings different than every other animal. We have the capacity to create, to think critically, to reason, to have morals, we have emotions, we can be in a relationship, and most importantly, he created us with the capacity to worship. God created us with the capability to worship him and to delight in him. But our troubles come when we don't do that. Mm. Instead of worshiping and trusting God, we put our trust in other things. And all this has done is create a bunch of anxiety for ourselves. And not only that, but it's enslaved us in sin and separated us from God. But God loves sinners. In fact, John 3.16 says that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus Christ, the sinless son of God, died on the cross for our sins and then rose from the dead three days later. Romans 5.8 says that God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's amazing. Brothers and sisters, do you really need any more proof that your father cares for you? Just think about that. God demonstrated his love for you. He demonstrated it on the cross and that while you were still a sinner, not deserving, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, Ephesians 2 says. You had done nothing to earn God's gracious grace and his goodness. And he sent his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross for you. What more evidence do you need that your father cares for you? And it's so tempting to look at our circumstances as evidence of, of God's care. But the only place you need to look for evidence of God's love is at the cross. Amen, There's nothing more precious than Jesus, and he was delivered up for your transgressions, Scripture says. In Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, will he not also with him graciously give us all things? If God sent his son Jesus to die for sinners like us so that we could be saved from eternal damnation, do we really need to spend time worrying that he's going to forget that we need food? Or that he's going to decide that he's angry that you missed a quiet time, so he's going to punish you by letting you get sick? That's not the gospel. That's not the God of the Bible. That's a pagan God. That's a kind of God where if you if you do this for him, then maybe he'll maybe he'll have some mercy on you. That's not the God of the Bible. If you are in Christ, God is your heavenly Father. And he loves you with an everlasting love that cannot be lost or broken. You are more safe and secure than you could ever possibly know. That's the second reason we don't need to worry. Reason number three Jesus gives that we don't need to worry is that you are not in control. You are not in control. Verse 27, he asks a rhetorical question. He says, which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Mm-hmm. Well, anybody? Not me, bro. <laughs> Nobody, right? None of us can add a single hour to our span of life by worrying. 
You know, Jesus spent a lot of time asking questions. As you read through the Gospels, you'll see that very consistently. People will ask him something, and he'll turn it around and ask them a question. And questions are good because they poke holes in our assumptions. When we worry, we are quietly assuming that our worrying will actually work. But if you stop and think about it, it doesn't work. Because we're not in control. Worry is just the illusion that we're in control. You know, God often permits events to happen in our life that make it crystal clear that we're not in control. This pandemic is one of the clearest examples that we've had in a long time that's been given to the entire globe that we are not in control. And I believe that it is a gracious wake-up call from God and a reminder of the fragility of life. Our economy, our health, our government, and even our way of life down to the sports that we love to watch is fragile. My prayer is that this pandemic will wake up our nation from our prideful and foolish reliance upon our power and our money and our self-righteousness. We desperately need to be humbled and brought to repentance as a nation. And here's the reality. Here's a sobering reality for us to think through, church. This COVID-19 pandemic is nothing compared to the judgment of God that will come upon the world for sin when Jesus returns. It's nothing. Revelation chapter 6 describes the day of God's judgment upon the earth. and Different judgments are pronounced, symbolized by four riders on four horses carrying out the judgments upon the earth. And I want to read to you uh, about the fourth rider in Revelation 6, 7, and 8 says that when when the fourth seal was opened, so the seal is the seal that sealed God's judgment upon the earth, says when the fourth seal was opened, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come! And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and its rider's name was Death. And Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. God's judgment on the wicked and on those who do not obey the gospel will be just and severe. But God graciously warns people so that they will repent and turn to him. Brothers and sisters, I don't know all the reasons that God has allowed this pandemic, and nobody does. And anybody who tends to know doesn't know what they're talking about. But I can tell you one thing. One thing that it is doing is it is a warning shot being fired. It is a reminder that there is a day of judgment coming. We will stand before God on judgment day. We will die. And, you know, God's warnings are are, are gracious. I thought about the hymn, Amazing Grace, as I was preparing the sermon. There's uh, one line, I think it's in the third verse. It says, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved." In His grace, God will put the fear of Him into our hearts to wake us up. But it's also His grace that teaches us that if He is our refuge, that we don't need to be afraid. We don't have to fear God's judgment. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The whole reason that God sends warnings is so that we will hide ourselves in Him and be safe from it on the day when it comes. The wonder of the gospel is that this severe judgment that we read about in Revelation chapter 6, you know, if we keep reading, it says that 
that uh, when Jesus Christ appears, that kings and rulers and all the way down from masters to slaves are going to be hiding. They're going to be calling on the rocks to fall on them so that they can be hid from the wrath of the Lamb. And the wonder of the gospel is that this severe judgment that we deserve was poured out on Jesus Christ instead of us. It was poured out on Jesus. Like, that's amazing. I would encourage you, church, to go home and read Revelation chapter 6 and read about the severity of that judgment. And what the severity of that judgment tells us is it tells us just how holy God is and just how horrible and wicked sin really is. And then think about the fact that God poured that out on Jesus. Jesus is perfect and glorious and holy and righteous. Jesus deserves honor and praise and glory. And instead, he took that in your place. Guys, that, that's why God's love is demonstrated on the cross. And on the last day, God's judgment against sin will be just. The Christians are hidden in Christ. I love how Romans 8, 34 and 37 puts it. Listen to this. It says, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Amen. It's because of that truth that Christians don't have to worry or be afraid. Do you have this assurance? Or is your life wracked with fear and worry about death and about judgment? You can have this assurance today. You can place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ right now. And you can be safe in Christ for all eternity. Not only do you not have to fear coronavirus or stock market crashes, but you don't have to fear judgment day that is coming with certainty. Mm. Let me urge you to turn from your sins. Place your faith in Jesus this morning, right there in your seat or right there at home, mm. even if you're watching from home. <laughs> the fourth reason that Jesus gives for why we don't need to be afraid why we don't need to worry is that God hears prayer and meets needs. Right. God hears prayer and meets needs. In verse 31 and 32, Jesus says, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. So Jesus says that you shouldn't worry because God already knows what you need. And implied in that statement is that he knows what you need and he will provide those needs that you have. He's a good father. Amen. He's not cruel. God does not look at you and say, I know you need a fish, but I'm going to give you a snake. God takes pleasure in doing good to his people. Let me just read you a few passages. Uh, Jeremiah 32, 40 God says, I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them. Psalm 23, 6 says that surely goodness and mercy 
will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Psalm 84.11 says, For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. God loves to do good things for his people. Worrying is what happens when you don't believe that God will meet your needs. Mm. And that usually comes from a faulty view of who God is. When you begin to see God not as a good father who knows what you need before you ask, but instead as an angry, impatient ruler who's never pleased, or as an out-of-touch and busy dad who doesn't listen to you, mm. when you see him like that, then you're, you're going to resort to worry and anxiety. We have, uh, I told you guys, I mentioned briefly a couple weeks ago, uh, we just finished up a lot of our adoption training because we're in the process of adopting. And one of the things we've learned uh, is uh, when it comes to child care is something about uh, the cycle of need, of met need, and the cycle of unmet need. And so it's the idea that infants develop in a healthy way uh, when their cycle of need is met. So when they cry out, when a, when a baby cries, the God's, the creator's design is that there's a caretaker there, mom, and then dad to meet that need. So the baby learns over a series, as that cycle is repeated, I cry out, my needs are met by mom and dad, and the baby learns to trust. Because when mom and dad are around, I'm safe, mm. I'm secure, I'm taken care of, I know my needs are met all the time when mom and dad are around. But the cycle of unmet need is when children uh, grow up in less than optimal care. And what happens for children who are in orphanages or they're neglected or abused is that when those little babies cry out, nobody comes. Mm. Their needs are not met. And this has a profound impact on their development. And it results in what psychologists call a constant internal alarm. Their internal alarm is going off. And so that an internal alarm is when a, a child has needs but is powerless to be able to meet them and nobody else is coming to meet them. And so that internal alarm, as they grow older, results in acting out. It results in behavioral issues as the child tries to cope out of a, out of a sense of fear and out of a sense of insecurity. Is your internal alarm constantly going off in your walk with God? Many Christians spend so much time worrying and so little time going to God in prayer so that he can meet their needs that they're constantly anxious. They're constantly looking for ways to cope with fear and anxiety. And so they run from this comfort to that distraction, from one failed solution to another. If that's you, then what you need more than anything else this morning is to be still and know that God is good. Amen. Let that temptation to worry instead drive you to prayer. Mm. You know, one of the things that, that we learn in the cycle of met need and the cycle of unmet need is that children that grow up in less than optimal care, they can get better. But what they need is caretakers who will consistently meet them in that cycle of need. So that when the child is afraid, when the child has something going on, when they're acting out, you pull that child close. You teach that child, I'm going to be there every single time to meet your need. You need to start going to God for your needs over and over and over again so that you can learn that God is always there to meet his children's needs. Always. 
He will never not meet your need. He will never let you go without. Philippians 4, 6 and 7. Brother Harrison mentioned this earlier when he was praying. It says this. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Who would like peace that surpasses all understanding? Anybody else? Am I the only one? Amen. As you continue to go to God in prayer, you will find that he always meets your needs. And as you experience that provision over and over, you'll learn to trust. And like Psalm 131 says, like a, like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. Because mm. you're going to learn. There's never a time when he won't meet your needs. Yeah. You know, another thing that would be helpful for you if you're struggling with worry and anxiety also is to go home and begin to write down all the ways that God has met your needs so far this year. Mm. Think back about all the ways that God has already been meeting your needs, all the ways that God has already been protecting you so that you can remind yourself that, you know what? He's already been meeting my needs, and I've been worrying a whole lot for no good reason. Mm. I start each day. I just recently actually started this habit in my journal where I'll write down, here's the things that I'm thankful for for this upcoming day. Because mm. I, I don't know about, I'm, maybe I'm the only one here, but sometimes I can be kind of negative, no. and I'll tend to focus on the things that are not going well, mm. and I'll focus on the things that you know, uh, you know, I'm ungrateful for or what have you, and I'll just completely ignore all the abundant mercies and goodness that God is pouring out on me. Mm. So let me encourage you. To, to start your morning by thanking God, Amen. remembering all the good that he's done. So we've talked about Jesus's four arguments for why we shouldn't worry. True treasure is in heaven. You are very valuable to God. You are not in control. And God hears prayer and meets needs. So how do we wrap this all up and apply it to our present situation? Jesus sums up the entire argument and really the entire Christian life in verse 33. He says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Mm -hmm. If I could summarize what that means, I would say, stop spending time planning for, thinking about, or working towards things that are going to pass away, and instead spend your time, money, and effort focusing on what will last for eternity. So in our present moment, amidst a pandemic that's causing massive disruption, that means, first and foremost, seek God's face. Listen, with everything being canceled right now, you may have more time on your hands. I, I know I do. Now, the temptation is going to be to binge on Netflix. I'm hitting a nerve now. <laughs> the temptation is going to want to be to binge on Netflix, to mindlessly scroll through social media, to you know, watch movies, to just, to, quite honestly, to waste the time. Mm. But you have an amazing opportunity to go deeper into God's word and prayer in this season of life. Take the time to grow in godliness. Read God's word and meditate on it. Set aside a large portion of scripture and memorize it. Read large chunks of the Bible. 
pray for the people on your relationship map, on your oikos map, the people that don't know Jesus around you. Those will help you as you're memorizing scripture, as you're taking in God's word, it will help you when you're tempted to worry, mm. when you're tempted to trust and other things. I've even made it a, I, at the beginning of the year, one of my goals was to read Calvin's Institutes, which is a very large book. And I told uh, Jen this morning, I was like, I don't have an excuse now. Like, so, Calvin, I'm coming for you. I'm coming, yeah. Um, so, you know, maybe there's something like that. Maybe there's a book that you want to read, or maybe there's just a project, you know, that you can work on to, to serve somebody. There's lots of opportunities that we have, but don't spend this time on yourself. Mm. Don't waste this opportunity that God's given us. I believe that one of the things that God is doing is He is stripping away all the distractions. He's stripping away all the stuff so that he, we can get back to the basics of knowing Jesus and making him known Amen. in D.C. and around the world. This does not mean that mission stops, that knowing Jesus stops. This should just be an opportunity to ramp it up mm. to a new level. Amen. And Lord willing, we're not going to go back to the status quo when all this thing is over. So seek God's face. Also, love your neighbor. That's one of the other ways. How can we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness in the midst of all this? Love your neighbor. We have a wonderful opportunity to do that right now. Because we trust God to meet our needs, we can be generous with our possessions. This is a wonderful time to give generously. We talk about countercultural, right? I mean, as we're seeing all these images on TV and on Facebook and on the news of people literally fighting over toilet paper. Mm. Fight like like hurting other people to, to, to practice self-preservation. What would it look like for us to go, I'm going to give it away. Mm. Like talk about a witness for the mm. gospel. Amen? Amen? Talk about standing out when you're loving your neighbor. Mm. There, well, we, one of the things that we've done is we've created a sheet. It should be in there in your seat. Uh, Jen, can you grab one of these for me right here? So... We're going to have, I'm going to ask Jen to put these on the website too. They're on, um, they're on. Okay, they're the already on the website, tab. on the resources tab. And so this is just a, uh, a way to love your neighbor. And so what you can do is you can make copies of these sheets right here. And you write your name in it at the top and your address and your phone number. And it just says, hey, I'm offering to help if you need anything during this pandemic. I can pick up medication for you, deliver food, watch children, run an errand. And you just check on the box of what what you'd be willing to do for your neighbors and go knock on your neighbor's doors and hand it to them. Or if they're not home, then tape it to their door. This is a way to let your neighbors know that you're there, that you want to be neighborly, that you want to love them, that you want to serve them. So we've got a great opportunity as a church to do this. So what I would encourage you to do is take this home, make copies of it, or go download it off of our website and print off copies. We're going to go put these on every, everybody that lives on our street. We're going to go put these on their, on their door this week. Mm. And we're just going to pray that God opens up doors for the word. Amen. 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 Another way to love your neighbor is to, just some practical things, is to resist panic buying. Well. Okay? Because um, one of the things that that does is it depletes resources for those who are truly in need. So honestly, like it's an unloving thing to do to hoard resources for yourself. Mm. Please don't do that. Like guys, we just talked about like our Heavenly Father is going to provide for us. We are a part of the body of Christ. Nobody in this church is going without. I promise you that. We're not going to let you 
go without. <laughs> like we will come around one another and we will meet one another's needs and we will love one another. That's why the body of Christ is here. We've got a benevolence fund as a church. We're going to be meeting tonight as elders to talk about how we can use that. And if you are in need, we want you to come to us as the elders because we want to do everything we can to meet that need if you're a part of Pillar DC. Okay, and then we'll also... We, we want to take care of the needs of the brothers and sisters in Christ, like Scripture tells us, but we also want to look at helping, once those needs have been met, and also taking care of needs of others outside the body. And so if you know of an urgent situation, you can also bring that to our attention, and we're going to do everything we can to tangibly meet people's needs. God has blessed us. He's been good to us. And so we want to be a blessing to others. Amen. 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 Thirdly, another way to love your neighbor um, is is to protect those most vulnerable to COVID-19. I know that some of you have differing opinions on this. I know there's people who are like, oh, this is overblown. It's no big deal. What have you. The reality is, is that most people in this room, your life is not being threatened. Your life is not in danger. But there are people who are at risk in our society. And it is unloving to be careless during a time like this and to not follow any of the guidelines being put out by the CDC, okay? Because it might not put you at risk, but it puts others at risk. And that is not how we love our neighbors, okay? So, yes, washing your hands is a way to love your neighbor, okay? Not, you know, like touching people's face or like, you know, people don't want to shake hands. Like, honestly, I would just stay away from that stuff. It's a way to love your neighbor. Let's do fist bumps and elbows, things like that. Um, If you're sick... Don't come around other people, okay? If you're sick, we love you, but stay away. (laughs) Self-quarantine until you feel like you're good to go, okay? So love your neighbor. And then lastly, uh, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. The third way we can do do that is to share hope with your neighbor. Seek God's face, love your neighbor, share hope with your neighbor. Um, Like I said earlier, we've got an incredible opportunity to share good news with our neighbors. Many people around us are are afraid, they're nervous, and every time this pandemic comes up in conversation, which is a lot, and people talk about the uncertainty of the times and the panic of the culture or their own fears, that's a gospel conversation opportunity, guys. That is a perfect opportunity to bring up the gospel, to bring up the hope that is in you. You have a chance to share why you're not worried. You have an opportunity to share with people about God's patience and his goodness, about his coming judgment that will be worse than this, and about his incredible love that he displayed when he poured out that judgment on his son instead of on us. You can look your neighbor in the eye and tell them he did that for you. He died so that you don't have to. Are you going to tell them? Are you going to tell your neighbors? Or are you going to to watch this flood come for them and just let it come without warning them? And just let it come without telling them the good news that they can be forgiven of their sins and have eternal life. Please don't let that happen. Let's be bold. Let's share with our neighbors. God has opened up a door for the word. We pray for that all the time. He's done it. He is answering the prayers. A door is wide open for effective ministry and for the word of God to go forth in D.C. Brothers and sisters, this is what we have been praying for. We haven't been praying that people will suffer, but we've been praying that a door will be open for the word, and that has happened. Amen? Amen. We're going to close this morning in prayer. Um, 
And uh, but uh, before we do, uh, before we go, um, well, I wanted to let you know that we are going to to take up uh, an offering. We're going to have a, a time of tithes and offerings. Um, I do want to urge you, uh, specifically members of Pillar DC, uh, please don't stop giving during this time, even though we are not meeting at Jefferson. Um, one of the best ways you can give is online through our website. Um, but we do need to continue to operate as a church. And actually, right now, like as we, as in a time where we want to ramp up our giving as a church, we want to give more towards benevolence. So we really need to come together and sacrificially serve and sacrificially give. So let me encourage you um, to do that. Uh, you can give online. And do we have a basket uh, set aside here? Okay, so we've got, we'll have a basket where you could put it uh, on your way out by the door. We're not going to pass baskets around, uh, but you'll be able to put it in there uh, by the door on the way out. Amen. Um, okay, let me close this in prayer, uh, and then we will close with a, a closing song. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness. We thank you that you are good all the time. We thank you that you're sovereign and you're in control, no matter what the circumstances are like around us. God, we thank you, most of all, that you so loved the world that you gave your one and only Son, Jesus Christ. You died on the cross for us, so that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God, we worship you. We thank you. We pray, oh God, that multitudes of people would turn from their sin and trust in Jesus in the coming days. We pray, oh God, that you would put a stop to this pandemic, that you'd be merciful towards those who are suffering, that you would assuage the fears of those who are afraid, oh God. God, help us to be the body of Christ, to be the hands and feet of Jesus in the coming days. We love you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.